You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We have been on a uh, journey the last month, if you haven't been with us, uh, through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, his full name is John Mark, and uh, John Mark is, uh, is, the, is the oldest of the four Gospel accounts, and it's the fastest, too. If you're like looking at maybe digging into the Bible for the very first time, uh, read the Gospel of Mark. It's fast-paced, it's, it's short, and it tells you everything you need to know about Jesus, and you can probably read the whole thing, that whole letter, in, in probably about an hour. Uh, we have been looking at it uh, in helicopter mode. We have been kind of flying over the big themes of the Gospel of Mark, and today it, it leads us to the biggest, most important event in human history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The search and the cry of every heart walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And the real question is, is who is that man? <clears throat> who is the man that we know as Jesus? Uh, his disciples would have called him Yeshua HaMashiach, which is uh, the word which means Savior, the anointed royal one, the awaited promised one, the Savior if you were Greek, if you were the Apostle Paul, and you were traveling and spreading the gospel of Jesus to a new Greek culture, uh, they would have known him as Jesus Christos, uh, which is just Jesus Christ, which in Greek means healer, the anointed one. So we have the Savior healer, and we now know him as Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the transliteration of his name today. And we declare and we proclaim in this room that we have some sort of idea of who he is just by being in this room. Now, that doesn't mean you know him. It doesn't mean that you are a follower of his, but it means that you have some limited information about who he is. Uh, let's kind of take a look at the life of Jesus real fast as seen through the gospel accounts. He was born in a little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, he moved to Egypt to escape uh, his, uh, his life being taken, his family moved to Egypt for a few years. Then they moved back to the Israel area, and they moved into a small town called Nazareth. And uh, every year of his life, Jesus visited Jerusalem as they celebrated the greatest holiday of the Jewish nation, which is Passover. And at 30, Jesus' ministry began. And he moved to a small town outside of Galilee called Capernaum, where he traveled Galilee and Judea and shared the gospel story. It's known as the Great Jesus Tour. And from 30 to 33, Jesus toured Israel on three different tours. There's two Galilean and there's one Judean. And in the Galilean tours, there are over 55 events recorded in the gospel accounts over a two-year period. And in the Judean uh, ministry in that tour, there are 42 events recorded over that one year. And everywhere he went, miracles happened. Everywhere he went, eyes were open, ears could hear. And in many cases, the dead, they walked, uh, they, were, they were brought back to life. Jesus ended in Jerusalem, his massive tour, and his tour had come to an end. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the very moment of that last three days. As he entered Jerusalem for that last time, he knew that his time had come to an end because he'd already told his disciples there was no guessing what Jesus had come for. He didn't come to preach a message of just love each other, that everybody's okay. He didn't come to preach a message that you're okay. That's not the message of Jesus. This is the message of Jesus. In Mark 10, 33, this is what he says to his, to his disciples. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. He's referring to himself. This was the plain, graphic, violent truth of what Jesus had come to do. He knew his mission was the cross. That cradle was just the beginning point to get him to the cross. In verse 45 of the same chapter, he says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom is the idea that he came to purchase our freedom. 
You see, we're born sick. Every one of you has a disease that you're born with, and it's the disease called sin. And we are born with it, and we are dying because of it, and it is keeping us in chains and causing havoc in our life from the moment we breathe our very first breath. But Jesus The cross was to purchase and to ransom and to break those chains of sin off of our life and its destructive habits in our life. He came to set the captives free. Here is the cross. We walked through the cross pretty vividly last week. Uh, He was betrayed by a friend with a kiss. He was arrested in the middle of the night in the early morning and he was dragged through seven trials one after another. And in each place, he was beaten. He was mocked. His beard was pulled out. He was hit on the head and on the body. They would blindfold him and put a sack over his face. And the Bible says that they would beat his head and his body with a rod. Each place he went, he was abused. And at the last trial, he was scourged. He was put on a post and he was whipped beyond recognition. And then he was condemned to crucifixion which was taking the, uh, the victim to a beam, a cross, or a tree and nailing their hands and their feet to the wood, leaving them there to suffocate and die. But his life was not taken. He gave his life. For when the time was right, he shouted out, it is finished, and he gave up his life. And his death was confirmed with a spear in his heart. Jesus was dead. His death fulfilled over 350 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Today is about what happens three days later. It's not about the eggs. It's not about the ham. Some of you guys, it's not about your clothes. It's not about your hat. It's not about your corsage. I grew up in in uh, uh, in Indiana, and back in the day, you used to give your mom corsages, right? You ever do that? Anybody ever grow up in an environment like that? We used to give them out on Mother's Day and uh, and Easter, and uh, you know, or the hat. Anybody grew up in a culture where you wore a hat on Easter, big hat? Some of you, all right. There was the Easter hats. There was the Easter corsage, and I also grew up in an environment where you like you 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 went snazzy, right? Uh, Lurleene, she was so funny. She posted some pictures of a suit that she was trying to get Mike Walsh to wear. this beautiful pink suit. He didn't wear it today. But I remember those days when, when it was up. It was about the clothes. Guys, it's not about the clothes. It's not about the flowers. It's not about the Easter basket, though that can be fun. It's not about Easter egg hunting. It's about, it's about the resurrection. It's about what happened those three days after the cross. What if the tomb, however, wasn't, wasn't real? Have you ever wondered if maybe this whole Jesus thing was a big hoax? That it was just uh, uh, some sort of legend? That it's a scam? That it was uh, like the Easter Bunny, something fun to believe in? What if it wasn't true? If, if we're here simply out of tradition, and if the tomb isn't empty and Jesus is still dead, well, that's pretty pathetic. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep are lost. Paul then goes on to say in verse 31, that if there is no resurrection, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then let's just blow this whole thing off. And he says, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I mean, without Christ, it is the YOLO life. You know, it's like you only live once. That's true. If the tomb still has the bones of Jesus, then yeah, you only live for this life and you need to drain it and soak it and wring it and get everything out and do everything and try everything no matter what it costs you because this is it. But guys, this isn't it. You don't only live once. After this life, your real eternity begins and you have an an opportunity today to determine what direction and what eternity you're going to have. If Jesus, however, did not rise, and let me tell you, Christianity is is a deceptive delusion. 
If this whole thing, if this, if this whole like resurrection thing is just some sort of scam, then, then we uh, are not forgiven and, and, the, and people cannot change. And there is no hope. It, then this whole thing is just some delusional deception. If the resurrection isn't true, then this Bible is an evil book. If the resurrection did not happen, then this book is, is evil. For it calls us to sacrifice ourselves for others and to resist a life of sin and to turn from destructive ways and turn to a new way of living. And if this is is, is is what we have to tell us how to live, and Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then this is an evil book. And if Jesus did not rise, then heaven is a mindless myth. It's just a pie-in-the-sky hope. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're just biological globs, wasting away, waiting to recycle. If the resurrection did not happen, then when you breathe the last breath, then this life is over. And your biology ends and you return to the earth and the dust if the resurrection is not true. And Jesus did not rise and Christians are pathetic fools. We're simpletons or charlatans missing out on life. But let's walk through that weekend as recorded in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, and let's see if it's true or not. On Friday night, as I said earlier, Jesus, or Friday, Jesus is crucified. He is dead. He said it would happen. His disciples did not understand it, but this is where the story picks up. In verse 40 of chapter 15, some women were watching from a distance the crucifixion. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger of Joseph and Salome. These are witnesses to the crucifixion. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women, circle that, who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, the, that means he's from Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, a well-known witness, not a nobody, not just some uh, person from the other side of town or the other side of Israel, but a well-known official, Joseph of Arimathea, was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, the government authorities, and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he had already died or that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, a forensic specialist, he asked him if Jesus had already died. This centurion was an expert. He was a professional in killing people. And he asked, is he really dead? And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. I want you to notice all the names that Mark uses. He doesn't just say some women or the leader uh, or some guy took his body. He gives all names that could all testify authoritatively that Jesus was absolutely 100% dead. He did not swoon. He did not pass out. He was not drugged. He did not have a nap for three days. He was dead. And Mark is saying, hear the names, go ask them yourself. His death was not a hoax. Mark confirmed his death with witnesses, a forensic report, and a legal declaration. There was no doubt, Friday, Jesus was dead. So on that Friday, Jesus was physically buried. The Jewish uh, holiday and the Jewish Traditions prohibit doing anything once the Sabbath begins, which is when sundown hits. So they were hurrying. They were flying to get it done. And this is what happened in verse 46. So Joseph, the Arimathean guy, he said he bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. 
Joseph Grave was not some mysterious location on the side of the hill. It was not a place that would have easily been lost or mistaken. See, some people would like to say that either Jesus fell asleep or swooned or passed out and that he didn't really die. But we know for a fact he did die. And then some might say that they just went to the wrong tomb, that they misplaced him, and that the tomb is empty because they went to the wrong place. No, this was a very very specific place, a very well-known place, and it was a very prominent area of burial. He was physically buried. Day two, the Sabbath, that Saturday, Jesus, his body sat dead in the grave. And on the Sabbath, there's nothing to do. You're not to do anything. So all they did was cry and pray. They waited. They were numb. I would imagine as reality began to set in, man, knots in their stomach, empty feelings of loss. The grave told them that it was over and that their dreams were buried with them. Now, if you've ever experienced the loss of someone you love, it is some of the most painful, gut-wrenching experiences you'll ever have in your life. I had lost my mother a few years back and my brother a couple of years ago, uh, a few years ago, and I tell you, losing a, uh, a friend that's as close as a brother, there is nothing more painful than the loss of someone you love. So you could imagine what these disciples, the, the men and the women that followed Jesus, might have felt that Saturday, complete numb. They probably have, have been crying for the last 24 hours. Saturday was not a happy day. And maybe it's Saturday in your life right now. Maybe right now you feel like your dreams and your plans for your marriage have been have been put to death and they're sealed in a tomb. And you're like, man, my marriage is dead. My relationship with my kids is dead. My relationship with my parents is dead. Or your health is, is going downhill. And your finances, they are, they are buried. And you're wondering, man, oh man, God, I don't know if you're there, but I feel sick to my stomach. It was hard just to show up at church today because I don't even know if you're even there and I'm hurting, but God, I'm here because maybe, just maybe, just maybe there'll be some hope here. Well, the day three had come and this is when everything changes. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother, uh, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go about to anoint Jesus' body. Guys, listen, this was pretty typical. There wasn't like a, a rehash. Um, he had been taken down off the cross so fast on Friday, they weren't able to finish the burial process. Actually, the Jewish burial process can take up to a year where they will go uh, regularly on a regular basis to uh, continue to anoint the body with oil so that it won't stink. Eventually, the body decomposes, and they take the bones, and they put it in a box, and then put it in a shelf in the tombs. So in any particular tomb, you walk into a Jewish tomb, and there'll be shelves all over, cubbyholes with ossuary with boxes inside and it would take a year and they would go regularly anoint wrap the body and when it decomposed they would find a box and then put it in the shelf it was a family grave so what they were doing on Sunday morning is they were finishing what they didn't complete on Friday so they began to take the spices and the oils to finish what they were doing and very early on the first day of the week just after sunrise they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? If you have your Bible, I want you to under, underline that. Who will roll the stone away? Perhaps that is your question today. Who will roll the stone away? Who will get rid of that barrier in my life, that addiction in my life, uh, that demolition of bad dreams, that, that obstacle, that dead marriage, that lost relationship? Who will roll the stone away from my sickness, from that bitterness, from that depression? God, who will roll the stone away from my hopelessness? That dark tomb seems sealed. Who will roll the stone away? Because we know you can't and I can't. And the women couldn't, but thank God they didn't have to. Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. 
not so Jesus could get out, but so that they could get in. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Luke tells us that there were two of those angels, but only one of them spoke. In a verse 6, it says, don't be alarmed, he said. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. And he said, he has risen. Everybody say that. He has risen. He has risen. And he is not here. He goes, see the place where they laid him? He's not. This, you're in the right place, ladies. You're in the right. This is not the wrong tomb. And yes, Jesus was certifiably 100% documented dead. He was dead, but he is risen. And as unbelievable to them as it is today, you got to realize that we maybe heard this story before over the years. It's been 2,000 years since this story's been told. But they were in a culture where even most Jewish people did not even believe that there was such a thing as a resurrection. The, the majority of people at that time who were Jewish believed that life ended at death. So the fact that this man would come back from the dead after three days was mind-blowing. And then he says this, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. He didn't say, tell those faithless backstabbers, I'm coming for them. Could you imagine the disciples, they all ran at the crucifixion except for one John who stood by Mary. Every one of his disciples, now there were more than 12 disciples. We know by Acts chapter 1, just a week after the resurrection, that there's over 120 that are still hanging out together. We know there were thousands and thousands that followed him, and there were about 300 that Jesus considered his real disciples, and 12 that he poured his life into, and 3 that he made his most confidential friends and teachers. Guys, listen. His disciples ran. Some of us, we're perfect at that, aren't we? We run. We run not only from our faith, but from our marriage. And he says, and go tell the disciples I'm coming. But not because he was ready to attack or hurt or condemn. He was coming to restore and to forgive and to testify that he still loves them. Mark is believed to be the transcribed notes of the apostle Peter and Peter, if you might remember, is the one who denied Christ three times at his great moment of need while he was being crucified. And I can imagine as he was telling Mark his account of the resurrection, and he said, and go tell disciples and Peter. And I could see a tear running down Peter's face, a lump in his throat, as he remembers that Jesus had forgiven him. He says, he is going ahead into Galilee ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him. This news rests on eyewitnesses' firsthand experience and accounts, not on hearsay. He says, you will see him, just as he told you. This was the plan all along. In verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, this is not saying that they did not run out and tell the disciples. It means that they did exactly what Jesus said, and they did not tell anyone, and they ran straight to the disciples. They did not tell anyone on their way. They weren't shouting in the streets, he is alive, he is alive. They didn't tell anyone. They did exactly what Jesus said. Now, in many cases, that's the traditional end of Mark. That's the end. What we have after Mark 8 are uh, different versions of the gospel of Mark that were uh, believed to be added years later, um, and they are basically a mixture of what the other gospels in the book of Acts has wrapped up, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, but what a great moment here. There are different versions of the resurrection in four different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all eyewitnesses. All tell eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And, and there are a lot of people that say that, that the Bible can't be trusted because all those resurrection accounts are different. In one place, it's a couple of guys. In one place, it's a couple of women. In one place, there's a couple of angels. In one place, there's an angel. In one place, there's Jesus. And, and so all these people who are like, man, how can the Bible be trusted? The most important event of the entire Bible, the resurrection, is filled with all these different stories. 
of how it happened. Well, they do say one thing in common. Jesus is alive. That's for one. And if you didn't know how they all fit together, which we're going to show you, uh, you can know and know this, that the story that he is alive is 100% attested to by those accounts, by those eyewitnesses. So how do those four gospel accounts work together? Well, let's take a look. Let's walk through those events, and you're going to see uh, on the chart there on the screen where those verses are because there's, there's this. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different eyewitness accounts of an event of walking with Jesus. Now, if I were to ask all of you to write down how your experience from your car to right now went, you would all give a completely different story with similar points. You would talk maybe about the worship. Maybe a couple of the worship songs stood out. Maybe all four of them stood out. Maybe the worship wasn't on your radar because you didn't come in until after it was over. Maybe uh, you had coffee or maybe you talked to somebody. And if, and if thousands of years from now we were going to read all of your different accounts, they'd all be so different but very similar. And you'd say, well, this person says so-and-so is there, but this one doesn't. They must be lying. No, it's different eyewitness accounts of what they experienced. So these four gospels give us four different eyewitness accounts of what they experienced. When you put them all together, it's known as the harmony of the Gospels, where you can actually put them in chronological order of the events. And what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the harmony of the resurrection very briefly. This is what it says. First Friday, Jesus was buried. And you'll see the, the verses that will back all these up. In your, they're on your notes. Uh, or that we, They're going to be online if you want them. Uh, Saturday, the tomb was sealed and soldiers were set to guard it. Angels on early Sunday morning, rolled the stone away. And there was an earthquake, and the, 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 the guards fainted as if they were dead. What was next is that the guards then ran and reported the empty tomb to the authorities, who then bribed the guards to tell everybody that the body had been stolen. And at least three women that morning, on that Sunday morning, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, at least three prepared spices and went to the tomb. Now the women, when they got there, they saw two angels who tell them that Jesus is risen. Mary immediately leaves the women and begins a long run back to tell the disciples what had happened. Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman, on their way to find the gospel, uh, find the disciples, not running, see Jesus. The women then make their way to the disciples, and they tell them everything that they have seen and heard. Peter and John, at hearing the news, they immediately get up and leave the disciples, and they run to the tomb. And when they get there, the tomb is empty, and they are shocked, confused, don't know what to believe, and they return back to the other disciples. Mary Magdalene, still at the tomb, is weeping. It stays at the tomb where she sees two angels saying that he is risen. And then she sees Jesus, the first person to have a conversation with Jesus. Later the same day, Jesus then appears to Peter. And then still later the same day, Jesus appears to two disciples on a road to Emmaus as they were heading back home. Guys, these two disciples are real important. They're not part of the 12, but they were sold out disciples. Not part of the 12, but important enough that Jesus met with them on their way home to Emmaus. That night, Jesus appears to 10 of the disciples. Thomas is out of the picture. Thomas is gone. He's missing. And when he gets there, he's angry. He's frustrated. Uh, he's confused because they all tell him that Jesus was here, but he does not see Jesus. And guess what? He didn't get to see Jesus for a whole week later. A week later, Jesus appears to all 11 of the disciples with Thomas that day. And then still a week later, Jesus appears to them all while they're fishing in Galilee, off the Sea of Galilee. Now, the New Testament actually records 11 physical sightings of Jesus over the course of 40 days. Guys, listen, next Sunday, I'm going to begin a two-week message series called The Ascent. And what we're going to do for two weeks is we're going to look at the 40 days after the resurrection up to the point of his 
ascension into heaven. And there's a reason why he stuck around for 40 days. He was investing into his disciples. He was investing into you. Why was he here for 40 days? Why didn't he just rise from the dead, tell all, his, tell all his disciples to get out there? He spent 40 days with them, 11 accounts. What we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're going to unpack the mysterious, rarely ever talked about, 11 moments of Jesus' life after the resurrection, before the ascension. Join us. It's going to show what God's plan for your life and my life is. So the crowd showed up. And they still show up today. I need four volunteers, real quick. Four volunteers who can come down here. Okay, Ryan. Okay, Sean. JT, I need another person. Lauren, come on down. All right. There are crowds that show up. <laughs> just come on down. <laughs> Been kind of funny if someone was down there just made their way through all the seats. <laughs> just right on down. All right. You guys stand right up here, right up here in the front. All right. You're going you're gonna to represent the four types of crowds, the types of people that follow Jesus. There are four types of crowds that follow Jesus then, and there are four types of people that follow Jesus today. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go piece by piece through each one of them, and I'm going to give you guys a few things. All right, so the first crowd is found in Mark 11. Actually, you see this all through the Gospels. In Mark 11, as Jesus entered Jerusalem for his last time, uh, that final week, it we call it Palm Sunday, the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God and the power. By the way, Hosanna means you got the power, do something now. That's literally what it means. So they're saying, you got the power, make things right. You got the power, make things right. It sounds like some sort of chant on the street, doesn't it? That's what they were doing. Thousands of people were at that west gate as Jesus entered, shouting, you got the power, make things right. You got the power, make things right. Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God, you got the power. Make things right. Save us now. So this is the first group of people. They're the people who basically say, uh, what's in it for me? And you bring your bag of, uh, of things you want to get from Jesus, but not just any bag. If I find that zipper. This is the kind of bag that, that these people like to bring. They like to bring the big bag. So what I want you to do, I want you to hold this just like that. All right? Because this is the first group. The first group says, what can I get out of this whole God thing? What can I get out of Jesus? What is in it for me? You know, today we have people that are in church, that are in, that are in following the whole God thing for the very same thing. God, just, just give me what, what can I get? Money, a blessing, healing. God, just, I'm in. You got the power, make things right. You got the power, make things right. There are a lot of people that follow Jesus for the Hosanna. But here's the sad thing. is just a few chapters later in Mark 15, the same crowd just five days later that were shouting, you got the power, make things right, began to shout, crucify, crucify, crucify. Because here's the deal with these people. As fast as they call on him, they turn on him. When life hurts. You see, this is the group that says, I know enough about Jesus to want him on my side. But when life gets painful, this person is left disappointed and frustrated and confused because they are just looking for what's in it for me. Here's the second person. The second person is, a. Uh, before I uh, get your props, is found in Mark 11, and this is the Pharisees. The Pharisees, by the way, went everywhere Jesus went. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were so sad, you see. And uh, these guys followed Jesus. They were part of the crowd. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. And these guys, man, they loved knowledge. So I got some books for you here, okay? Hold on a second. Let me tell you what I got. I got uh, Donald Miller, because you're hip, okay, and uh, um, because you... You're a hipster, and that's like a, you know, you got a cool Christian's read Donald Miller. Here's the Bible is history. Here's uh, guns, germs, and steel, the fate of human societies. Uh, I like that one. Here's a, here's a book, uh, the Norton Anthology of World Masterpieces, because you are well-read. 
And, uh, you know, you're a smart leader, so you're stronger than you think, uh, the power to do what you feel. And Dictionary of Cultural Literacy, and, of course, one of the great Bible commentaries, the Clark Bible Commentaries. Here's a book on Revelation because you're so prophetic. And, of course, the Bible. But the problem with the Bible with the Pharisees is uh, they didn't always like everything that the Bible had, so they would, they would read through it. And they would go, you know what, I don't like this page, so I am going to get rid of this page right here. This, this page asks a little bit more than I can handle. And this is what this person does, is he rips through the Bible. Of, yeah, let's see, a Revelation, yeah, I don't believe that section, so I'm going to just rip that whole section out. So some of you, this is you, and this is the person who basically says, um, well, I'm smarter than God. Like the Pharisees, they were always trying to set him up, always trying to trick him, always trying to control him. They think you're wiser, you're better. You know what the Bible says, but you know better. You know what Jesus said, but you know better. Help, not in my book, that's got to go. Sin, not that one, that's got to go. You know, other religions, sure, why not? As long as they're smart, studied, and intellectual, And this is what this person says, I know enough about God to make my own Jesus. I know what the Bible says, but I'm smarter. This person has a false sense of spirituality because it's based on himself and his own abilities. Here's the next person. That weekend that Jesus was crucified was a big holiday. It was so big that there were a million extra people in that little town of Jerusalem, which normally had about a million people in it. Uh, So the city was packed. The suburbs were packed. Uh, In fact, Jesus didn't even stay in the city. He stayed in Bethany during the Passover. That's how full it was. And uh, But this is something that's not mentioned too much in the Bible, is that the holiday brings out the crowd, doesn't it? The holiday brings out the crowd. And this is the third crowd that follows Jesus, and that is a great story. See you next year. Uh, The early holiday Passover uh, came and went for millions, and it didn't even change their life. It didn't mean anything to them. The city was packed. Food, it was about the clothes. It was about the holiday. It was about the Easter basket. It was about the ham. It was about that extra day off on Good Friday. We all find ourselves living this one, the yearly visit. This is the person that says, I know enough about Jesus to celebrate the holiday. I'll do a little Easter. I'm a Texan, of course I'll do Easter. I'll dress up. It's a yearly tradition. But here's the result, is that you can walk away today unchanged and miss the greatest event in human history. And God will let you go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to wave. Say, hey, everybody, I'm here. Keep waving. Keep your, just keep waving the whole time. Just keep waving. Just keep waving. See, and this is, the, this is the crowd that usually shows up at Easter. I'm glad you're here, by the way. I'm waving to you. Don't. <laughs> if you're one of those people, wave back. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. In fact, here's the thing about this person, that you can walk away unchanged. So why don't you go ahead and walk away? Because that part of the crowd doesn't show up and stay up and stay around very much. But here's the fourth crowd, and this is the smallest by far of all of the crowds. In fact, by the time Acts 1 came, that crowd numbered only 120 people. And this is the, I will follow and do whatever God wants. And here, I want you to step right here. I want you to, if Jesus were standing in front of you, how would you respond to him? You'd probably get on your knees, right? All right, so if you you can, I know you're on heels. I probably should have had a guy do this. Here. Hey, Jesus, can you help me? I'm in heels. Fortunately, I know Lauren, and I know she loves Jesus a whole lot. There are those who saw him, who heard it, who lived it, and told the world about it. And it's the reason we're here today is because we were told. It's because this crowd told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. Not the holiday crowd and not the religious, zealot, you know, Pharisee, knowledgeable, intellectual crowd who thinks they're smarter, so smarter than God that they don't even need him, and neither does the half the church that shows up just wanting stuff from God. But there are those in this room that are this crowd, that will hear this today, 
and it will change your life forever. And they'll do exactly what happens in Mark 16. You guys can go as I read this verse. Thank you. Mark 16, verse 9 says, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and were mourning and weeping. When they had heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported to the rest And they did not believe it either. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe in those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, now go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news of what has happened to all of creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You see, the result of that fourth crowd person is eternal life, forgiveness of sins, a purpose-filled life with a mission that reaches beyond this life, making a difference in the world, starting in our own homes. You see, all four crowds have something in common, and you know what it is? They all thought they were right with God, but only one, only one had bowed the knee to Jesus. Only one had truly become a follower of Jesus. Earlier, I started with the possibility of what Jesus, what life would be like and what our faith would be like if Jesus was still dead and in the tomb. But what if he is alive? Well, that changes everything. Because if Jesus were alive, if Jesus did rise from the dead, if that tomb is empty, then Jesus can't be taken lightly. This message, this story, this challenge, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, then this message in his words, his life, cannot be taken lightly. If he did rise from the dead, he is who he says that he is. And what he has called us to do, to lay down our life and to follow, is exactly what we are to do. He is God in the flesh, the Holy One, the creator of all things, the Alpha and Omega among us, walking, saying, come and follow me. If he is alive, we can't take him lightly. Number two, if Jesus did rise from the dead, our priorities change big time. If Jesus truly rose from the dead, Our priorities, the things that we think are important, begin to change. If that tomb is empty, then the Creator and the Lord Jesus calls us to reckless abandonment, to follow Him and His way. And other pursuits, and other missions in life, and other dreams, and other hobbies, and other things, they become secondary or even last to the mission of Jesus This is the challenge here. Because if the tomb is empty, then our priorities change big time. And if that tomb is empty, and this is the beauty of this empty tomb, then nothing is too broken to be fixed. Then that cross was actual payment for our sins. And it was a ransom for all the things that we have done that we are ashamed of. And that shed blood is power to all who believe and power to touch anybody. Guys, listen, there's not a single person in this room that hasn't gone too far beyond the reach of the hand of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you have done that could turn you away from Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you've gone, who you've hurt. It doesn't matter how much you have victimized someone or you have been a victim. No one is too broken No one is too damaged to be fixed if that tomb is empty. Here's a great lesson from the empty tomb, and you can write this down. It's not in your notes. Is that nothing is too messed up for God, not even you. Some of you, Easter is a painful experience because the whole church thing is just a real bizarre thing for you. 
and the whole Jesus thing has really been a, a, a disappointment for you. You know, you've been hurt or damaged by a preacher, by a minister, by Christian friends or family. Don't let what people have done cause you to not see the empty tomb that is there for you. See, the justice for our sinful crimes has been met on the cross, paid in full. You can be forgiven. The check has been written. And I imagine this, if I were to stand here and say, I'm writing a check for a million dollars to you, and I were to hand out a, a check, uh, and, and would anybody not take it? If I had the money in the bank, it was a real check. I'm not, I wouldn't, wouldn't bounce the check. I wouldn't write it if I didn't have it. I don't have it, by the way, so don't expect that it's coming. Uh, but if I had it and I wrote a check for a million dollars and I offered it to you, would anybody say, no, thanks, that's not my style. It's not my thing. I'd rather live paycheck to paycheck. I'd rather struggle. I'd rather be frustrated. I'd rather work this wonderful job that I have. You can still work the job, by the way, and take the million dollars. Here's the point. You wouldn't say no to a great gift. Guys, the check has been written, except it was written with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he signed it with an empty tomb. And now he's handing it out saying, who wants the greatest riches the universe has ever offered? Sins forgiven and eternal life. Some of you are going, no, that's not my style. Well, I'm sad for you. Because God loves you, and I love you, and I don't want to see you walk away from here today without cashing that check. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 17, this is where we started. This is where we're going to end. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins, still unforgiven, still guilty and due punishment. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost forever. You'll never see those people that you love who've died in Christ ever again. And if we have hope in Christ only for this life, we are the most miserable people in the world. But I love verse 20. But the fact is, if you have your Bible, you circle that. But the fact is, Christ has been raised It's not a legend or a hallucination. For those that truly know this, their life will never be the same again. And it is a message worth telling. I'll play this video right here, and then I want to come back, and I want to pray for you. This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. So you know what that means for us? Since forgiven, life made new. I wanna pray for you, and this is an opportunity for you to say yes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much. But God, you didn't leave us to self-destruct, but God, you came for us 2,000 years ago 
so that we could be redeemed and restored and ransomed and made new again so that we could know the kingdom of God in a snapshot on this earth and then forever in the next life. And Father, I just pray that, that you would help us to respond to that, to that empty tomb today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? Today's the day. I'm not going to be part of that crowd anymore that's just coming to get stuff. And I'm not going to be so intellectually prideful that I miss the true resurrection. And Father, I'm not going to be just a holiday Joe who's here simply because it's Easter. Father, I want to be that fourth person who bows the knee spiritually to Christ and says, Jesus, I know enough about what has happened to give you everything that I have and to follow you with my life. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's pray this together, especially those of you that would say, I want to be that fourth person. I want to be someone that follows Jesus. Let's all say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, that you died on a cross for my sin. Wash me clean. Forgive me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. I will follow you the best I know how. Show me how. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could keep your heads bowed right now, and if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time or as a fresh start, could you do something for me? I just want to, I'm not going to have you come down, but I am going to have you uh, raise your hand and keep it up because I want to pray for you right there in your seat. So if you could say, you know what, that was me. Uh, fresh start today for me. Go ahead and raise your hand and keep it up. Amen. Hands everywhere. Say, you know what, that's me. Hands up everywhere. Thank you, Father. God, I pray for those that have their hands up. God, I pray that you would let them know how much you love them and care for them and gave your life for them. And Father, I pray that you'd help them to know, God, that you have sent a body, a, a church uh, that is here for them. And God, if they need to know what it means to walk with you, that they will have that courage to talk to someone here. And uh, Lord, that they would have the courage to talk to our pastor, our pastors and myself or, or somebody on our staff. And God, I pray that you would just let them know that you love them and that their sins are forgiven. God, we welcome them into the kingdom of God. Thank you for your grace, which is able to cover all of our failures in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to do something as Sean uh, comes up, and uh, we're going to continue a time of worship with the time of giving. Um, there is in your worship guide a connection card. If you prayed that prayer, fresh start today uh, was a great moment for you, then could you fill out that card? At least give us your name and your email address. I'd love to send some things to you. I'd love to encourage you and help you to, to get to the next place in that journey. Our walk with God begins, but it does never end. I mean, it, it's the beginning, and it's a journey. So I want to walk that road with you. And uh, so fill out that connection card. And next week, we're going to talk about those 40 days after the resurrection. What really happened, and why did he do that? And why is it important for us? It's going to unlock the key to your future. So that's... Uh, next week, and uh, look forward to seeing you. Thanks for coming this Easter. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.